Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Augusto. Thank you all for being here. I hope this show is finding you healthy, safe, and sane wherever you are in the world. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Randy J. Goodwin to the show. Randy is a professional television and film actor, as well as a writer, director, and producer. He has been in over 50 television shows in his long career, including starring roles in Showtime's Fast Track and UPN's Girlfriends, where he would do the first of five projects with producer Kelsey Grammer. You've also seen him in 24, Grey's Anatomy, 911, a couple CSIs, and NCIS, to name a handful, and movies like American History X and Towelhead. Recently, Randy has become passionate about making his own films and producing them in our shared home state of Nebraska. No surprise, that's our connection. And in fact, we are both alumni of Creighton Prep, which is the Jesuit High School in Omaha. Shout out to our Hollywood Prep family. He's a thoughtful and passionate man, and I'm thrilled to have him here. Welcome to the show, Randy. Thank you for having me, Nick. First, I want you to tell me about The Job, which is a film you wrote, produced, and starred in. Did you direct it as well? Well, I rewrote someone's 51-page play, and I like the boxer killing a guy in the ring. And that's something I've always wanted to do since Boom Boom Mancini actually did kill Dooku Kim in the ring back in 1982 when I was, you know, when I was a freshman at prep. (laughs) I I didn't know that that was actually the core element of the film is that it starts there. Yeah. So, you know, it it just worked out, man. And I really loved it. And it was something that was definitely God breathed. I'll tell you that. The first thing I got to ask you, man, is what did you have for breakfast? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing? What does that mean? I don't eat breakfast. I haven't eaten breakfast in uh, over a year. Um, I do intermittent fasting, especially since I right now I I had to gain weight for, and I had to get out of shape for the movie The Job and then get back in tip-top shape. And I, I bulked up to 230 pounds, but then I had to lose it. I hurt my shoulder. And another thing, that was God's way of letting me know I didn't need those flashback boxing scenes, which I was getting so in shape for. How <laughs> funny. Just kind of funny. All right, then. Let's hop into the big stuff. How and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life? Um, I was introduced, and I remember specifically, I was four years old when um, my mom had been going from church to church, trying to figure out where she wanted to be, trying to figure out where, you know, she had a connection to God. And uh, we had been in the Catholic Church for a while. And uh, she just said, you know, I just I just don't feel it. Well, I didn't know what all that meant back then. But then she met someone who introduced her to this church that she ended up falling in love with. So she started taking me and my brothers and my dad didn't want to go <laughs> right away, mm. but eventually he started going, and the whole family basically grew up in this church. And uh, when I hit 17, that's when I actually gave my life to Christ, but didn't realize what that truly meant until I even got a little older. And when I left for college down in uh, Lincoln, I kind of pulled away, not intentionally. But slowly, you know, hanging out with the guys, you know, half of Kappa Sigma was 
<laughs> was prep guys, my buddies. <laughs> and I wasn't going to church and we were just hanging and we were having frat parties and we were playing sports and we were doing our thing. And I just kind of pulled away and didn't realize I was pulling away or drifting away. I was drifting, not pulling. Mm. And drifting can be worse sometimes. And, you know, I just began to just do life, do life, not even really concerned with going to church on Sunday. But I can tell you this, every day I still did think, what if I die today? What if something happens to me? What is God going to think? What does God think about me now? I got to get back to church on Sunday. But Saturday comes and the parties come and we keep doing what we're doing. How old were you, you know? when you're talking about this? Uh, I was uh, 18, at that, 17, 18 at that time because I was a freshman in Lincoln. Okay, so hold on. You said you did give yourself, you did give your life to Christ at 17. Are you saying you did, and then you started partying a little bit again? Yeah, I, I drifted away, not realizing. Now, I'd been in church my whole life, but like I said, you know, being in church and actually being an active participant in following Christ, two different things. Okay, well, let's get some of the basics. Um, so you grow up in Omaha, just like I did. Yes. You have how many brothers? Four, two older, two younger. I'm the middle boy. Oh, I'm the middle of five also, but you got all five are boys. Wow. So your dad was a little hesitant to get into faith as a young child, and then and then he got into it. Was that part of the theme of your growing up? Was your mom always more faithful, your dad not so much? Or were they pretty much a pair? Um, they were a pair, but when it came to church, like my dad, see, my dad, my uncles and all, they, they believe in God and they believe that, you know, you just need to be a good person. And so when my mom was pushing for more, she was just searching and searching and searching. We have, we have conversations about it now that she's older. My dad passed away, um, 19 years ago. Um, okay. All right. and, uh, uh, it was, a uh, as, as they say in the last samurai, it was the good death. <laughs> okay. Well, I, of course, I'm sorry to hear that he passed, but I, I'm glad to hear that it was a good death. Um, I look forward to hearing how that fits in to your journey. But I'm glad yeah, to hear that your mother's it, it, alive and that you can still talk to her about it. Clearly, you have a real faith bond, and it sounds like you had a faith bond since you were very young. Yes. So, but basically, your father supported your mother, ultimately, is what you're saying. Well, actually, um, my dad wasn't supportive at first. So my mom started taking us to church, and then... She would come home and she would talk about what this man preached about and what he spoke about and this man, and he's such a man of God, and I feel more connected to God than I ever have. She talked about that man so much that my father said, you know what, you keep talking about this man, I'm going to go down there and punch him right in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> you hear him say that? Are you telling me he really said that? He said that. We oh, heard him. That's great. He goes, I'm going to go down there and punch <laughs> this man in the mouth. So he literally, he got in the car. He drove to the church. He was gone. At the time, I'm probably five or six now. He came back hours later with this look on his face, and he's like, I just gave my life to the Lord. Whoa. <laughs> he went down and punched this man in the mouth, and the man started talking to him, and then they got into the Bible, and next you know, man, they really got into what God is about, and he was just enthralled. And he's, he just was like, wow, I never heard it like this. I've never seen it like this. I never, I know that being a good person is part of the deal here. He said, but that Bible, he showed me so much in there that 
it takes a, just a little bit more than just being a good guy. It takes belief, hmm. belief that Jesus was here, that that belief that he did it all for you on the cross, that you couldn't do it yourself. And he just listened to all this and he got sucked in. And, and then he's like, oh my goodness. And he was a faithful man all those years after that. Actually, he also quit smoking immediately, never smoked again. He, was, he smoked cigarettes, never smoked in front of us. Wow. But we catch him when we peek out of a window. But he never had an urge. Once he gave his life to Christ, he never had an urge to smoke another cigarette. So he, he was hiding it prior to this conversion experience. Yes. But then after the conversion yes. experience, like, you never caught him again. He was straight up, gave it up. Straight up, done. Wow. Done. We didn't smell it. it. We couldn't smell it on his clothes. We couldn't smell it in his hair when we hugged him. No, nothing. Wow, wow. He, he, he changed. What did your father do for a profession? Um, my father, my, my family is, uh, is a salon and barbershop family. We oh, cool. Shops. My, yeah, my, my mom, um, we've had several, started out with one called Hair Command over in Bellevue uh, near Offutt Air Force Base. Sure. And uh, we had a barber side and a salon side. And my dad was a master barber with, uh, uh my older uncle, Dan, who owns, Goodwin Spencer Street Barbershop down on 24th Street when the trolley cars used to run way back. How fun. Wow. Before the cool. neighborhoods were torn apart down there, you know. Yeah, yeah. Before gangs moved in, when it, you know, when Creighton University uh, had the trolley that connected all the way down 24th Street. His building's still there. It is the only freestanding building still on that side of the street. It is considered a historical landmark because back in the 70s, the Black Panthers were having a shootout with the police department. Oh. They ran into my uncle's barber shop where Ernie Chambers, the senator, used to cut hair there as well. Are you kidding? And me? there are bullet holes still in the windows from the 70s. It was bulletproof glass, but back then the glass was just thick. Wow. It wasn't bulletproof. So those bullets, holes, and cracks are still in it to this day. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, pretty cool. So what, what does it mean when you say you specifically gave your life to Christ at 17? And then how do you go from something like that into just drifting? Well, because my relationship right now with Christ is completely different than my relationship when I was 17. Meaning, back then, my family was so... I grew up in such a strict household. Mm. And the church that I grew up in was extremely strict as well, meaning we went to church Sunday morning. That lasted from about 9 a.m. with Sunday school all the way through uh, about 5 p.m. And then we'd have oh. dinner at the church, and then we'd go back that night and probably wouldn't get home till like midnight, 1 a.m. Yeah, and we had to go to school the next day. And then, um, of Whoa. course, Tuesday night we'd go back for New Saints meeting, and then Wednesday night we'd have Bible class, and Thursday night there's choir rehearsal, and then Friday night there's another service because the pastor and the organization that we were in felt like the more you're in church, the less you'll sin, and that is highly incorrect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then what, what was there a direct denomination that this was, or was this just kind of a— this was Pentecostal. Oh, it was. See, this is what I thought. I thought this was Pentecostal. Did were people speaking in tongues and stuff like that? Was it that kind of yes, level? Yes, they were. Wow. Yes, they were. And that's the thing is, they felt like 
in order for you to actually be saved, you have to speak in tongues because yes. that's the initial sign. Well, that's not what the Bible says. I mean, we've gone through it over and over, my brothers and I, since since leaving the Pentecostal uh, yeah. uh, denomination years ago. And so many people have left, and, you know, more people come in. But, you know, Scripture can be—and I don't like to use the word interpreted because it's basically laid out. Though It's simple. God made it simple. That's the whole point of— Jesus did it all for us, so we don't have to. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to do works. We just have to believe. So at seventeen, I believed and I accepted what he did. But then, because of the church I was in, I had to do all that other stuff. And doing all that other stuff doesn't mean anything. Doesn't help you. But I felt like when I look back, I know that I was actually saved before that, way before that, because I believed in. And God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus was sent to die for us. I believe that he did that and that everything he did on the cross was, you know, he, he, he paid the price for me, the penalty for all of my sins anyway. But because of where I was, we kept being told, well, you know what, you're not saved yet because you're not speaking in tongues and, and you must be holding on to something. So you're going to have to get right before, well, that's not what God says. God says, come as you are. He, he calls the broken, right? You can't fix yourself. So how can I let go of something or, or fix myself before I come to Christ? And when I look back, me and my brothers, we just go, wow, I cannot believe we were in it so long. But that's what made it easy for me to drift away. Well, sure. This is a really intense upbringing. I mean, I've had a couple of people on the show. Sherry Shepard has been on the show and she's talked about it. Hey, I love Sherry. Yeah, she's wonderful. And I didn't have any experience in the Pentecostal faith, but it is a very intense experience. Uh -huh. And does your mother still uh, participate in the Pentecostal version of the faith? No, after, after the, um, the pastor passed away just a few years ago, the church split. And, you know, that's what happens when, when you are more in service to the pastor than you are to God. Hmm. If you're about God, it doesn't matter what happens to anyone around you or things that happen in the church, because it's not about the church or the building. It's about the people, and it's about the love uh, uh, that you have for Christ. It's about living for Christ, a selfless life, and you are about helping other people, because that's the only way that you can show true love to God, is by helping other people, by showing love to your neighbor, to your fellow man. So when the church split down the middle after he died, it was a power struggle for who was going to be in charge of the church, who gets the church, who gets the money. Mm -hmm. The family started fighting, and my mom was church administrator for 40 years, 40 years, and they kicked her out. Mm. That, for me, I was already gone, but that was the last straw for me that I would never set foot in that place again. I mean, even coming back home, I'd lived in Los Angeles for, you know, 20 years when that happened, 20 plus years, but I still come back and I would still try to do things to help my mom in the church, even though I'm out there going to Saddleback and I don't believe in all the, the stuff that they're doing anymore. And that just shows that was the thing growing up in a church where everything was about religion and works and less about love because I didn't see the love. Mm. I never felt the love. And I'd gone to other uh, Pentecostal, it's actually Pentecostal apostolic churches mm -hmm. in the PAW, and I felt no love. I just completely reworked 
who I am in Christ. And I am so happy I did. I feel great today. Oh, Randy, it's a wonderful place to close off the first segment. So we'll take a tiny break and we'll be right back. Cool. At times like this, it is necessary that we ask ourselves what is worth talking about, what is worth listening to, and what we each can do to make the world around us better in our own small way. Discussions revolving around a person's beliefs and perspectives on God are something I personally can speak to, and my intention is to create a space where our deepest feelings about God and life can be expressed, heard, and better understood. That is one of the motivations behind God and Other Delicacies, and it is my humble hope that it contributes to the positive side of the cultural ledger. It is my intention to continue to create opportunities here for the presentation of those ideas that are different than mine, so that I can listen to them, come to understand them better, and hopefully discover ways in which I and each of us can participate in fostering communities that are ultimately more fair and loving for all. All right, everybody, we're back with Randy. And what happens? You know, how long do you drift away? How long do you stay away? Does that also mean that you're not going back to this Pentecostal church when you come home? Or are you still doing it because that's what your mom and dad need you to do, but you're not happy doing it? Yes, I would go back whenever I came in town. I would, I would still help out, even to the point of, I, I was doing this show called Fast Track, which was the first show. I moved, moved to LA in 94. Uh, and by 96, I had booked my first uh, TV show and then a movie and then my first series regular. Larry Gelbart, the creator of MASH, was my executive producer and I was playing the first black NASCAR driver on a show called Fast Track with Keith Carradine and we were loving it. And uh, Vegas, one of the hotels had done this virtual racing uh, racetrack and they invited a bunch of people to come out. Alfonso Ribeiro, who's a good buddy of mine from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, plays Carlton. Um, mm. Mark Paul Gossler, uh, uh, who played Zach from Saved by the Bell, as well as many other things. So a bunch of us were flown out. Um, everyone from my show was flown out. And we, we participated in this race. And I win. Hmm. But here's the kicker. My charity, you know, we're racing for charity. My charity was my church. Whoa. I okay. felt like I still had to do everything for this church. And because it was the church and not AIDS and not the children's hospital, um, they somehow lost my results and gave me third place, which means I shouldn't have even had third place. But I won a big chunk of change for my charity, my church. And dude, I look back at that. Even even my brother sometimes he says, "I can't, man, I can't believe you gave that much to the church." Wow. Yeah, because that's how we were. We did everything for the church. I had a chance to play uh, more than one. T- my, I, I know that my brothers, we all could have played pro sports. Hmm. At least four of us: my older brother Brian, my younger brother Darren, my youngest brother David. Uh, we were told that. You can't live for God and be an athlete. Wow. I have an older cousin who, who was a superstar running back at Iowa State. He was going pro. He was going first round. He was phenomenal. But he was told, you got to make a choice. Either live for God or go to hell. 
Oh. And you cannot, you cannot be saved and be in the NFL. He was told that. Man. So he chose not to go. Wow. I mean, are you still angry about that stuff when you look back on it? I mean, you sound like you're still like, man, I can't believe how much they had me in that. Uh, you know what? Before you just asked me that, before I just talked about it, I would have told you, yes, um, I'm over it. Yeah. But the way I just said it and what just rose up in me, I guess I am not over it. Hmm. Um, Cause that made me, made me angry right there that not only did my cousin have a chance to play pro ball and walked away because he was at the same church, but me, you know, when I went to Lincoln, I was just playing hoops with the team. I didn't realize it was the Nebraska Cornhuskers, but I was playing that first week, you know, we're getting used to the campus and getting set up in our dorms and being rushed by frats. Right. You're just playing some pickup ball. Yeah. And I was small back then. I grew later in life, but, um, I was five, nine, five, ten max, but I had like a 44 inch leap. So I'm playing with these guys and I dunk on their star player. And, uh, <laughs> I believe his name was Cedric Hunter ended up going pro. And I remember this super tall white guy comes over to me and says, do you go to school here? And I go, yes, sir. He says, are you here for uh, basketball? I said, no, I'm actually going to walk on for football as a receiver. Uh, but, uh, you know, I got, you know, mostly academic scholarship. And then, you know, my parents paid for whatever else. And he goes, you're kind of small for football. And I go, I'm kind of small to be dunking on a six, six, whoever you are. <laughs> I told the guy to get off the court. And this guy laughed and he goes, uh, why don't you come over and work out with the team? I said, I'm sorry, who are you? He goes, I'm Danny Nee. I'm the head coach. Whoa. And I, I knew who Danny Nee was. I just, I'd never seen him. And I was like, what? So I started working out with the team. And it got close to the first game coming up, and I quit the team because I was still fearful of what the church would think. Are you kidding me? You would have made the team, and you uh, quit? I was on it. I was there. I was there. I had my number. I, I would have gone pro. Uh, when I come back home, over the years since college, whenever I would come back home, you have no, no idea how many times somebody would say, dude, why are you not in the NBA? Why did you choose acting over, over basketball? I did love acting more, but I, I purposely kind of pushed basketball to the back because of the church, man. Wow. So, but then how does acting get justified? How did you hide the pursuit of acting from? Well, fortunately, my mom was about the arts in such a way that she like, you know, would use it at church. So I had done my first play at eight years old in church and I played, I played Jesus. I was Jesus Christ. Mm. And I was raising Lazarus from the dead and my mustache and beard kept the, the glue kept coming off and I kept trying to smear it back on my face while I'm trying to tell Lazarus to come out of the tomb. And then I just, something in me just said, let it go. I remember this clearly. And I told Lazarus to come out with a booming eight-year-old voice. And this wrapped up guy comes walking out of the tomb. And after the play, everyone stood up and gave me this, you know, standing ovation. Wow. I didn't know what that meant back then, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I it wanted to make good. people that's feel like sure. that. Yeah. And I said, you know what? Uh, everything that I do, I want to make, I want people to have that reaction. And then I quickly realized, it was making people believe in whatever I did when I was in front of them. Mm. 
So I, so it was my, it was definitely my love, my um, since I was eight. But I was also told that you can never be an actor. Um, that's not something that you can do and be saved. And you know, um, you can do it at church and you can do it at school. But I was sneaking off and doing talent shows and doing all, even in Lincoln, I was down there going off and we were doing musicals and plays and doing Greek nights and all that stuff, man. I, I would, everything I did, I had to sneak and do. So did your mom, were you sneaking it from your mom too? Your mom wasn't covering for you on, even though it was the arts is what you're saying. Yeah. She didn't know that I was sneaking off and doing that until when I was a sophomore, I auditioned a bunch of people and we did the, the, the movie and the video thriller. Because remember, that came out mm-hmm. um, back then when I was uh, uh, in 82 as a freshman. I remember all this stuff. And I was a huge Michael Jackson fan. So we did talent shows and all that stuff. And, you know, I even li- we lied to my mom so that we could get out of church on a Friday. And we went and did a talent show. And people told my mom, your sons are so talented. The thriller they did. And Randy was incredible as Michael Jackson. And then... <laughs> mm. <laughs> A few days later, she goes, so how was the talent show? Hmm. And me and my brother's eyes just got big as saucers, and we knew we were about to get a beating, man. We knew it. We knew that we were getting the switch or the hot wheel track or the extension cord or the shoe, the vacuum cleaner, whatever was closest. That's what got us. So is that, (laughs) I don't want to go down that too far, but that's clear. Like both your mom and your dad would give you that stuff or is it, she would just call in your dad? No, 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 no. She, it it was, she came from, she came from a rough upbringing in Arkansas. Um, Uh, my mom had to drop out of school and pick cotton when she was a little girl, Wow, you know, to help the family. Um, uh, but my dad, my dad was the compassion. Um, my dad was, you know, she might not see it that way, but my dad was a compassionate dude, man. And he would always defend her to us and tell us, don't be so hard on your mother. She doesn't, she means well, she didn't, she doesn't mean to hurt you. And she doesn't mean to, but you know, that's how she grew up. And looking back, we get it, but that's not stuff we, we do to our own children. Right. Um, Right. We learned what to do with our own children. All my brothers married with kids. and uh, We learned what to do with our own children, not always by example, but what not to do uh, to our children because of what was done to us. And I can tell you this, I am as good in Hollywood as I am, and God built me this way. But my mom being hard on us was a big part of training me for it. That's mm-hmm. why rejection doesn't bother me slides right off my back the things that people say and do there you can talk about me all day long i could care less i know who i am i know my worth so uh all of that god knows what he's doing Mm -hmm. he knows what you can take he knows you know and and uh and sometimes what the devil means for bad and for evil god uses for good man and uh, i can tell you there's a lot of good in my life because of how i was raised oh great stuff man okay so when do you join the Air Force? Where does that come in? <laughs> Second year of college. My brother, well, see, here's the thing. Once again, because my mom didn't believe that I, I, I could ever be an actor, she would say, no, you just, it's not for you. You, you know, uh, I know people that are, that are in Hollywood and they're drug addicts or they, uh, one of my friends had both of his arms broken by some thugs and blah, 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 you know. So 
they really pushed me to go to school for architecture because me and my brothers were very artistic. I did love buildings. I loved architecture. I had uh, architectural digest because I love structures, mm. but I never wanted to be an architect. <laughs> so that's what they pushed me to go to school for. And I'm down in Lincoln going to school for something I don't want to go to school for. And yeah, my older brother, he had already been in the military for a while uh, in the Air Force. My dad was Army, went to Korea and all that stuff. Mm. He's got Vietnam on his headstone and, you know, mm. the whole shebang and bang. But he told us years ago, if any of you ever choose to go in the military, you do not become a Marine. He said, you go Air Force first, you go Navy second, you go Army third. If you want to be in the others, he goes, but I'm telling you, go Air Force because you'll get education. You'll get where you want to go. And, but, you know, he really broke it down. Yeah. And I had no plans in going until my older brother said, you're going to school for something you don't even want to go for. You can be your own man now. You can finish your education in the military. So I went to the Air Force, man. And my brother, Brian, who was the one who talked me into it, he came down and he was the one that was with me at my swearing in. Not my mom, not my dad, my brother. Wow. I kind of snuck and did it. And I told my dad I was going to go you know, into the military. And I went down and signed up and got sworn in. And next you know, I let my parents know I'm leaving for the Air Force in March. <laughs> Jeez, man. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I took off, man. Where did I you go? Off. Where did they train you and where did you go? Uh, San Antonio, Texas. It was a, uh, a Marine Air and Air Force uh, training base, basically. And um, I quickly became someone that they put in charge because me and my brothers grew up doing ROTC and junior high and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so when I got there, they were, you know, listen to us call off and say, yes, sir. No, sir. How, how loud we were or our movements. And one of them just said, boy, you know a little bit about this military. Don't you get over here. And he talks me over <laughs> and he says, I want you to march them. Well, coincidentally, my brother was a drill team commander. We were rifle team. We were expert uh, marksmen, all that stuff. So we were built for the military because of my dad and his brothers. Actually, my dad's oldest brother was one of the original Tuskegee Airmen. Are you kidding about me? About them apples. Wow. No, I am not. That's yeah. amazing. One of you your know, uncles? Three... Is that what you just said? Yes, my, my dad's oldest brother, my uncle. Was a Tuskegee Airman? Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, here's the funny thing. My dad, from the same two parents, my dad has 10 brothers and three sisters, and he was the youngest. Oh. So he had only met his older brother once when he was a kid before his oldest brother went off to uh, war again as a Tuskegee Airman. And I believe his, he disappeared in battle, was never found again. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, so... You know, we have, we have long history of defending this this country, man. Fighting for this country. That's really powerful, Randy. I love having a conversation that is full of so many twists and turns and so much thought <laughs> about spirituality, but there is so much more I want to get to with you. So please tell me in kind of as brief a way as possible what happens from Air Force to getting out to Hollywood and what that next stage of your journey is. Okay, at this point, I'm in the military. I'm still sneaking off, and I'm doing stand-up comedy. My buddy Shade again, who was my year at prep, uh, mm. got me into stand-up comedy, which I never planned on being in, and we had a blast. But 
I'm doing that and I'm still going off and, and performing outside of the military stuff that I had to do. Mm. And one day, one of the colonels who was a friend of mine came out and saw my stand up and I didn't know it. Mm. So he says to me the next day uh, uh, at the base, and we're a high brass base. I'm talking generals, the president comes there, all that. So he says, hey, good one. Caught your act last night. And I go, you did. I mean, my heart was racing. I'm like, because I'm not supposed to be doing that stuff. So he uh, says, look, you were really good. You were very funny, but you need to make up your mind. You want to be in this man's military? You want to do something for your country? Or do you want to follow your little dream? I said, oh, there's no question, sir. He says, good, because I said, I want out. And he goes, whoa, wait, wait. I, <laughs> I didn't mean, I thought you meant you were going to stay in the military. <laughs> I said, you asked me what I want to do. I'd rather follow my dream. And he says, uh, are you sure? And we have a really deep conversation about it. And I go, yeah, I acting is, that's what God built me to do. And, uh, within the year, uh, moving into my fourth year, they released me early. So I was released under general discharge under honorable conditions. And I got out, Wow. went back to Nebraska and told my parents, I'm pursuing my dream. I'm moving to LA. My mom says, why don't you go to school for cosmetology first, follow in the family footsteps so you have something to fall back on? Of course. Yeah. I said, uh, no. <laughs> she said, well, my dad talked me into it just to have, just to have it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I say just to have a plan B. Well, I'm not, I'm like Will Smith with that. And like one of his raps, he says, no plan B, it distracts from plan A. Mm. And that's how I felt. But my dad said, trust us. So I did. Went to school for cosmetology and worked for the family for a year. And then I told my mother on March 1st, I am leaving next year. So I will work for the family for one year. A year later, I show up at the salon and she says, you're late. What are you doing? You have clients. I go, mom, it's March 1st. She looked at my car. It was packed to the gills and I drove straight to Chicago. Wow. Found a place to live, stayed there for two years, doing stand-up comedy, um, got an agent, did a few commercials, saturated the market and I said, LA, it's time. 94. I jumped on a plane, flew out there with nothing but $8,000 in my pocket and knew one person, Christoph St. John from the Young and the Restless. And he had told me when he came out uh, to Chicago, you got a place when you come out. And that was my first roommate. And that's how I ended up in LA. <laughs> okay, man. I, I want to end it there, but you also <laughs> told me you met your first wife somewhere in here, right? Yes. I met my wife and we dated for the two years I was there. And when I went to LA, she stayed in Chicago, but eventually I brought her out to LA. When I started, when I became a working actor, I moved her out to LA. Okay. So you, you get married, you get her yeah. out to LA and now you're starting your career. And how old are you? I'm 26 when I get to LA. Okay. And then I bring my wife out, or my fiance. I bring her out to LA in 1998. You've already had some shows under your belt. Yeah, 96. I booked my first couple of things at 90, end of 96, 97. Those were two great years. And because I had made so much money, you know, I, I bring her out in 98 and. 99, we're doing well. It's, we're in an apartment when I bring her out. But then, I, you know, I got a nice chunk of change. So, boom, beautiful townhouse, get her a rover. We're doing all right. We're not married yet. 
But in 99, we go back home uh, to visit the family for Christmas, and we stay, and then we go to church on New Year's Eve, and that's when I decided to rededicate myself uh, to God at that service on New Year's Eve. At the Um, Pentecostal church? Yes. Whoa. Yeah. And that was a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That is the way I'm going out on this second segment. That is funny. Okay, man. We're going to be back with whatever the rest of this story is after the the last break. God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. Also, if you're listening to this show on iTunes right now, I'd love it if you scrolled to the bottom, hit five stars, and wrote a one to two sentence review. It really does help the show reach more listeners and it means a lot to me because I read them and it's nice to read nice things. All right, everybody, we're back in the third and final segment here with Randy. It was an amazing cliffhanger at the end there. <laughs> and so, Randy, you, you're you having all this success. All the promising right. career is starting to happen. Regular roles in big, high-quality shows. You're meeting high-quality people in the business. Clearly, your star is rising. Yes. And you go back home with your wife, and you say that you rededicate your life to the Pentecostal church in Omaha. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) What do you do from that point? And why do you think you do that? Well, you know, because of the family and, you know, you're caught up in the moments of being with with everyone around the holidays. And, you know, I, I had for years, I had started saying, you know what, I need to, I need to start going to church again. I start, I need to start getting back into, uh, into God more you know, because I had been away from, you know, about 10 years now from college to the military to Chicago. And it began to really tug on my heart again. Right. You're so, having success in Hollywood. There's probably a party that doesn't want to get swept away or something, right? There's a part of you that, yes. that is okay. I don't, I don't want to lose my footing in my faith, but you don't really have the alternative yet. You haven't discovered what your new, what the faith will ultimately be yet. Well, the funny thing is with Hollywood, I still came in with my morals and my values and uh, I drew a line in the sand and I will not cross it. I didn't then, I won't now. Mm-hmm. And so I had, I still always kept those uh, uh, biblical values of love your neighbor, treat people right, don't lie, although I'm sure I had. Uh, well, <laughs> sure. I'm not sure there's any humans um, that got away with that one, but go ahead. <laughs> but you know, I've never been a guy that just goes and sleeps around with a bunch of women. I've never been a guy that just does people wrong and purposely, I'm not purposely going to lie to you. And if I find out that I'm wrong, I'll apologize. So I still had all those values in me, but I also felt because of where I came from in that Pentecostal stuff that I had to make sure that other people knew what, what I, Oh, I have to repent and I have to do this. And mm. Oh, God's going to rain fire and brimstone. Cause it was fire and brimstone that we always were taught. Mm. And it was never about love, man. It wasn't about loving your fellow man and loving other people and helping other people and helping the widow and the older lady and the older man and the homeless. It was about us all working together in the same church 
for each other, building up the church. We're not doing any good for the world or the community when we're stuck in a building. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's powerful. And that's what I had to get away from. But we were already in it. And because my wife, who grew up Catholic, was now a part of this, and she was liking it at first because she liked the aspect of feeling. and Right, the expression in the Pentecostal church. I mean, the energy. It's so exactly. intoxicating exactly. when I've witnessed some of these, these events. I mean, they are so, so much charisma and energy in those places. Yes, and I rolled with it when I was in it, but I can tell you right now, I didn't like it. Mm. I don't like that preacher who gets up there and tugs on his ear and, you know, and does that staccato, the voice and the, and the, and all that crap. I never liked it, Nick. I never did. And now that I'm out of it, I can say it and it feels great to say it. (laughs) It's just something that I don't think it should be a show. God's not a showman. Mm. This isn't Hugh Jackman in The Greatest Showman. Mm. You know what I mean? This isn't the circus, but that's what it felt like. It felt like everything that everyone did was a performance and who can outdo who and who can yell louder than who. Mm. So moving on from that to my wife was kind of affected by it. Uh, We relocated back to Nebraska for a short while. Uh, I'm, I'm not really sure why at that time because I had just started coming back in 2004 to do acting writing seminars called Navigating Hollywood with Integrity and What I Wish I Knew to support people like me who were eight years old and didn't have anybody to give them guidance for this career, you know? And especially a lot of people who are Christians who wanted to be in the business but were told like me, you can't serve God or you can't make it to heaven and, and be an actor or you can't do this because... You know what I mean? It's evil. Well, I never crossed the line there. I started turning down a lot of work in Hollywood. Hmm. The things that I wouldn't do, will not do. And my wife didn't like that. She didn't like it at all because she wanted the money. She wanted that paycheck. You keep turning down stuff and that would have been good money. I'm like, well, we have money in the bank. You drive a nice car. You know, granted, you know how the business is. So sometimes, you know, we can make a half a million dollars in, in, in a couple of months, but then not work for the rest of the year. I know that. You know, <laughs> yes. and that bothered her, even though there's money in the bank. And she's from a family that is about the money. And um, it is about the prestige of who you marry. And uh, I never met my wife's mother or father because she wouldn't let me. She said, my mom is a racist. And she'll make life hard on my dad and I'm not like them. So she walked away from her family for me. But then while, you know, during that period of time, um, in the, uh, uh, 2004-ish, when we moved back and I started doing the seminars, we decided to relocate back to Nebraska for a short while. And because I had to go back to California to work, she went home to be with her family while I was away working. And she took, at the time we had two very young children. And uh, next thing I know, I'm being served with divorce papers in, in the lobby of my hotel when I'm there to see them. It was crazy. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. I didn't see it coming, man. Did not see it coming. But her mother, I got to give her credit. Her mother's good. She is good. She set me up like you wouldn't believe. And they lied and said she'd been living there. I gave them permission to be there. The kids were in preschool there. And uh, the judges... This is where I experienced the worst racism I've ever seen in my life. And it was toward me, every bit of it. Not just from her mother, who called me a nigger, who called my children little niggers. I called her, her own daughter children, children little niggers. 
Wow. Yeah, she called her own grandchildren little niggas. So it wasn't them. It wasn't about them keeping the children because they wanted to. It was about them beating the black guy that they don't want in their family, the black guy who stole their daughter away. Even in court, mother knew somebody. And this first judge, man, they reamed me. They would tell my lawyers, I'm paying $450 an hour because I'm making sure I'm getting my kids out of this. And I wasn't, I wasn't being a jerk. I just told her, I said, if you didn't want to be married anymore, all you had to do was say so. But this fight for the children is ridiculous. I raised these kids. She was never with those kids one day by herself. I took them to the set with me. I took them everywhere. I took them to the park. Uh, we'd all go as family, you know, go down to the coffee bean and do, do these things. But she liked that prestige of being seen as a family. And, but then she'd go off and spend my money. And I didn't even know that she was spending as much as she was spending. But then blame me for being broke when I'm fighting for my children and my life in court. Cause I'm, I'm pumping out 450 bucks an hour. It was crazy. It was crazy. So during that period of time, I am just praying and, and asking God to help me. And, uh, and I'm not getting any help here. You know, uh, it's like Exodus 14, 14. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You just need to be still. And I'm trying to do that, but yet everything is coming down on me. Judges are making fun of me. One judge said, Oh, well, let's not forget. He is an actor. I mean, it was crazy, the racism that came out of Waukegan, Illinois. This is Highland Park, but Waukegan is the county. And the things that these judges would say, and then the amount of money they put on me to pay her, uh, it was crazy. But, you know, I got past it. And Whoa, okay. This is a huge moment. I mean, this is a mm. very devastating moment. Do you not? Yeah. What's the situation? How often do you get to see your children? After that, um, I physically haven't seen my children in 10 years. Still today? Still today. I got remarried and had another son, but my children, they, they would find me. They would use their friends, Instagram accounts and stuff, and they would find me. They've been following me. My daughter reached out and my second wife, uh, she calls me up one day. She goes, check your Instagram, check your Instagram. The one with the frog when that Bubby's on. Bubby's our youngest son. I find this Instagram and it says, Dad, it's me. It's your daughter, Alyssa. I'm using my friend's account. I found you. And, oh, man, dude. Oh, man, I broke down. Whoa. I was like, what? After all those years, she said, I've, every time I try to find you, uh, Mom would take my phone or whatever. Whoa. And uh, I would send, go back and forth with texts and then... I wouldn't hear from her because her mother would find her phone and shut it off. And that went on for a few years. And um, Alyssa is now 18. And um, Alexander is, uh, he just turned 17. They're a year and a half apart. And um, I still haven't seen them. Um, we've had some contact, but I know they keep being told things. They have been told for years that by law they can't talk to me, which is garbage because uh, um, I've been in contact with their mom um, over the last year or so. Um, Randy. Uh, she, I told her, I said, I said, where in the divorce papers does it say, I can't talk to my children? Well, the judge told me that one day. He just said, don't let him talk to the kids. I go, are you out of your flipping mind? A judge can't do that, nor would a judge do that. You got people on in prison for life who still get to talk to their kids, who still get visits from their kids. That's just ridiculous.
ridiculous, man. So she's been lying to them to keep them from me. But Alyssa says to me one day, and uh, her mom's going to be upset when she's, if she ever listens to this podcast, but it is what it is. Uh, Alyssa FaceTimed me from school. Oh, I'm sitting in the coffee bean in Long wow. Beach with my buddy Greg. And uh, I go, Greg, it's Alyssa. It's Alyssa. And it's a FaceTime. I pull it up. Oh, man, she's just so beautiful. And then she's, she says, hey, Dad. And I go, hey. And, man, tears just came to my eyes. I had to walk outside of the coffee bean. <laughs> I can <only laughs> so I didn't make a, make a fool you... of myself. Of now, you know, could she, you not? My goodness. Yeah, yeah, I know. And at the time, she is, uh, uh, let's see, this is 2016, 2017. I'm back there. And I'm in Long Beach, so 2017. And we go outside, and I go, Alyssa. And she says something that I go, look. I'm not gonna badmouth your mom. You know what? They can badmouth me all they want, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do it. And she goes, Dad, I know, I know, it's not you. And I went, Alyssa, you have no idea. She goes, Dad, trust me, I know. I go, Alyssa, you have no idea. She goes, Dad, and she just looks at me, even though we're on screens looking at each other. Yeah. It's like she looked me dead into my eyes and down in my soul, and she goes, I know. Wow. And that broke me, man. That broke me down. That that she knew and it felt good, but it hurt. And all this time they'd been kept away from me because of that lying racist family. Wow. The older sister helped uh, me, all of it. They, they helped cover this up. And when they find out the full truth, they're going to hate that family. Wow. And I'm not, gonna, and I don't want them to hate anybody. But yeah. they're going to have a long journey ahead. Yes. Yeah, and now they're almost grown, and I've missed out on 10 years of their lives, man, because of the lies of this family. Oh, Because Randy. they didn't want a black dude in their neighborhood. They want to, they want to, you know, perpetrate the fraud of being this high-class family. Well, you can look at your kids and tell that there was a black man in the midst. Wow. <laughs> they're brown kids. And there was no other reason than, you know, I, I was in love with the girl, you know. So, uh, but looking back... That was a big mistake. That was me. Randy, then what? I want to hear what the faith journey then is here. Okay. We've heard about where you've come from, all these struggles, the pain, the racism that you didn't see coming, this horrible fracturing of your family. Mm -hmm. How do you pick up the pieces? Is this where the, the new faith comes back in? Okay, yes. Now, with all that going on and all those years of fighting for my children, we relocate back to Omaha with my, my wife and family um, back in 2014 because I have been coming back and forth trying to get incentive deals in place in Nebraska and working with a team of people that, we, that, you know, that God has uh, really blessed me with over the years. And then, you know, what happened uh, with my wife? Uh, you know, damaged our family. And she went back to LA and left me and the kids. Me and the kids were here. So there's something, and it's okay that you don't, out of respect to her, you don't want to talk about. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to put her business out there because I, even though I know she talks about it on her blog and she, you know, to help other women, she went through a lot. Uh, okay. And I know what she went through. But like I said, I appreciate her. She's a good woman. Forgiveness is, was easy. It's just hard to go back. 
So, so once again, you're like, it's a surprise departure by your wife, a second wife, yeah. except this time the kids stay with you. Uh, the two youngest were with me. Uh, here and they and they were in school, so they stayed in school here in Bennington, and they were loving it. They love Nebraska, dude. So you know, there's a lot that I wanted while building the industry. But the the thing is, is with so much that goes on in Hollywood, you know, I don't like Hollywood per se. So I wanted to build it here. We have a great city. We've got so many different, like from Dundee to to Bennington to Elkhorn. Um, we have so many locations. We've got lakes and rivers and beaches. And I mean, we've got everything here. Uh, and a lot of people like to come here and shoot. Alexander shoots here, pushing the Nebraska uh, film and TV project. That is my goal here, to make movies and build an industry right here in Nebraska where we don't have to, we don't have to go to L.A. We can have our Atlanta. We can have uh, our New Orleans. And during that period of time, back in 20. 14 when we got here i started going back I, you know i had to go to la i had meetings so i'm going back my manager gina's there you know my agents are there lawyers are there and one day it's a sunday i get back there and i go man i just have this urge it's sunday i really want to be in church i want to be in a church today i haven't been in a church in a while i've been you know still reading my bible and praying and you know, talking with friends who are Christians and, and all that. And, um, well, this day I'm walking down, uh, I'm staying with my buddy Damien in Hollywood. Uh, and I'm walking down Sunset Boulevard and something catches my attention at the Palladium right across the street there. Mm-hmm. There's this flag up and it says Saddleback. And I go, Saddleback? And it rings a bell, but whatever. I keep walking and I look over again. It's Saddleback Church. Saddleback L.A. is on the side. So I pull up Saddleback L.A. on my phone while I'm walking to the coffee bean. And I'm still not realizing it's Pastor Rick Warren. I just pull it up and it says campus pastor. His name is uh, Keong. And I went, Keong. And it says he's from Omaha, Nebraska. Hmm. And I went, oh, wow, that's interesting. The campus pastor is from Omaha. And I'm reading a little bit about him. And I go, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. Didn't think anything of it. So I walk on into the uh, the coffee bean. I get my vanilla latte with an extra shot. Uh, I walk out the side door, which I, at this coffee bean, I never walk out the side door. But something made me walk out the side door. As I'm standing there looking at my phone, I look up. There's a pool out there. People are getting baptized. I see a bunch of people, and I go, I did say I wanted to go to church. Are you telling me to go here? <laughs> and it was just like an overwhelming, uh, yeah. So I walk across the street. I walk on someone walks right up to me and says, hey, how you doing? Welcome. You ever been to Saddleback before? And I go, no, no, not at all. I walk in and, you know, people introduce me and someone takes me inside and I go and I sit down and I feel someone staring at me and I turn my head and I hear Goodwin and I look up and it's, it's a buddy that went to school with my older brother. So the pastor, the campus pastor is from Omaha. This guy is here. And then someone up front turns around and goes, Randy, hey, how you doing, man? It's my stand-in. <laughs> and it just turns into like a reunion. And, and he goes, you know, this is Rick Warren, right? And I went, oh, my goodness. No, I didn't. I'm a huge fan of Rick Warren. Loved the book, Purpose Driven Life, all that. And that service was the first time that I actually felt peace in my heart, in, 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 in my core, 
sitting there listening to this praise and worship team and then listening to the message that Pastor Rick gave. And I was just like, Lord, is this where I'm supposed to be? And that was an overwhelming yes to. And I've been there ever since 2014. Wow, man. And I'm a Sunday school teacher with Saddleback Student Ministries. I am uh, uh, I'm on the um, uh, pop-up uh, food pantry ministry. Um, we go out and help the homeless, man. We, you know, we, there's, I've never been a part of a church that actually does the things that you're supposed to do in the community. Well, that sounds, I mean, that sounds really beautiful. So Randy, this is the end of the show, man, but I feel like I want to ask you one last question, which is you're still moving back and forth. You're still dancing back and forth between Nebraska and LA. I mean, you're talking about all yes. the work you do at, at, in the church in LA, but you also are raising, you know, the rest of your family that still needs raising back in Omaha. That's primarily yes. where you, it sounds like your home really is, is Omaha. Although it sounds like you're here in LA all the time. And it's kind of crazy because your story, it has so many twists and turns and it has so many surprises. And something yeah. that you've talked about in this journey is that you had to do so many things. You had to walk through so many doors before you really got to ultimately be yourself. The question is, do you really feel like in some ways it's been the last five years of your life that you can speak freely and openly about who you really are? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, well, since 20, like I said, 2014, so in 2020, yes, yeah, six years. So yes, I, that is where freedom really happened for me because that's, I mean, we're supposed to have freedom in Christ, right? We're supposed to be able to have this freedom and having peace in our lives, no matter what's going on. It doesn't mean bad things won't happen. It doesn't mean you won't deal with knuckleheads out there on the street. You know, it doesn't mean uh, you're not going to get a flat tire or stub your toe or even not get the job. What it means is being content and knowing what you have. It means that that spirit that you are connected to really does use all things that happen in life for your good. Well, Randy, man, this is a really, I mean, I kind of feel like I can't wait to talk to you five years from now again when you've connected with your children again. It's pretty amazing to hear about a life that is clearly so full and so much success. And yet in some ways to feel like it's finally just coming together for you in a way that yeah. it never really did. It wasn't settled with your family. You were never totally settled there. You weren't settled with your first wife. There were troubles with the second. It's, it's, you've been working a long time to settle uh, the, yeah. the kind of upheaval in your life. Yeah. And it's really an amazing story to listen to. And, uh, there's a lot of beautiful stuff. There's a lot of tragic stuff, but I'm glad to hear that you're in this place. And it's powerful. I think to hear that you're in this place. And I think it's important. It's a good, like a, it's an important reminder about you get a chance to find peace when it comes to you, I guess. And 
Um, it sounds like it finally came for you in a way that felt like it really kind of synthesized your life. Yeah. Yeah. And with the movie, the job, um, it's a movie, but a lot of that character is me. Um, and even today in my real life with going through divorce twice and having to give up so much money, all those, and over those years that I made, um, a ridiculous amount of money today, I am the brokest I've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> and I am at most, I mean, the most at peace that I've ever been. And I am the most content that I've ever been. It has to be how I live my life, not just what I say that affects people and the, especially the young people who want to be in this business. I think that faith is very important. And I think that I would not be where I am without it. Uh, I, and I just keep getting, I feel like I'm getting stronger um, every day in it. Randy, this was a pretty damn good story, man. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing so openly about this stuff. Dang, I love hearing these stories. I love it. Oh, man, of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening. show something else real quick and people are going to laugh and Jennifer Anderson's probably going to laugh because she probably doesn't even remember me but um, who was it it was Matt LeBlanc there was, a, there was an Emmy party okay. <laughs> and when they were doing Friends and uh, I wasn't married yet I was engaged to Lisa and I hadn't moved her out there yet he's like dude Jen is checking you out man she's got a thing for you I'm like what Jen who he's like Jennifer. And I look over and I see Jennifer Anderson and she's looking over at me and she's smiling. I'm going, Oh, I, I didn't pay any attention to it, but yeah, man, I, she could have, she could have been my brother's sister-in-law. Who knows? <laughs> 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 so,